You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Megan Turner. Doug, such a beautiful good morning. I accidentally brought two sets of notes up here with me, and I'm going to give these back. Otherwise, um, that's going to be confusing. I have to tell you that I went ahead and took off my left earring, but I have it so that 42 of y'all don't have to come say, you only had one earring in today. But last week, I guess I let it click like this the whole time, and that was distracting to some of y'all. So I'm not going to do that this week, but I did want to prove I had it. Um... I'm really excited about the series. Unshakable has been fun for me, I think, because um, I it's really challenged me personally to dive into God's Word deeper and ask myself some questions like, what rattles me? What What is it that shakes me? I grew up in church. I grew up with a, a really strong Christian mom and dad. I have a, a husband that loves the Lord with all of his heart. Um, but yet still I can find myself at times feeling really shaken. And so it's been a great, it's been a great season for me to kind of re-up on what those things are that shake me. And this part of the series for me is um, one that hits really close to home. And I don't think that it hits close to home for just me. I think it will for most of you as we dive deeper in, because I want to talk to you about our mind and about our thoughts. Um, And I think what happens is we can have an expectation of the way something's going to be. And then when something doesn't exactly play out the way that we thought it was going to be or it doesn't meet our expectations, it's like it can play a mind game with us sometime. Now, I'm going to get to much more extreme things in life that that can happen with. But if you guys would give me the permission to shallow out for just a second, I would like that. Um, I, I do love to rescue animals. And last year I rescued a male squirrel. His name was Trevor. We bonded closely. Um, And then I I found out, you know, you see these videos of, and I've done this for a lot, a lot of rehab animals, but something about Trevor was, was different. And so for the longest time when I let Trevor go out into the wild, anytime I would come outside, he would come running out from the trees wherever he was, across the street, down the street, backyard, and he would come and he would get a kind bar and a drink of water, and, and it, was, it was so sweet. And then I guess male squirrels, they leave and cleave. And so I think he found another woman and he left. And um, every once in a while, I think that I see him, and it's like the squirrels will all scurry out of the yard, and then one will kind of turn around and pause, and I'm like, (gasps) babe, I think that's Trevor. And he's like, they all look exactly the same. Why do you think that's Trevor? I'm like, he looked at me different. Um, So recently, when a friend of mine called that owns a tree cutting service, and um, they had cut some trees down in a lady's yard, the following day, she found three baby squirrels in an ant bed in the yard. And the this friend of hers had tried to nurture them back to health. It had failed. She woke up the next morning, and two of them out of the three were dead. So my friend Lisa calls me, and she's like, I've got a lot going on. I know you want one. I know you love it. Are you interested? And I was like, I will be right there. So I got a new baby, and I, in my mind, I've, it's, you know, I've got the whole picture is playing out because this time it's a girl. And girls don't leave. They're, you know what I mean? Like, I'm almost 40, and I call my mom 700 times a day. I'm like, what do you think we should do all this? What do you think I should do this? How long can chicken sit in the refrigerator? You know, like, so I'm like, this one's going to need me for the rest of its life. Um, So I I brought her this morning because we've had a shift in my mindset, and I'm going to, but I wanted you guys to meet her. So um, Eddie, I think Luke didn't, Luke refused to hold her and bring her out. So Eddie volunteered. Um, 
she's special because when we got her, she was starved to death. I mean, starved. So all of my girls were trying to think of a name. And so I was like, well, she's so special. I think she deserves all the names. So her name is actually um, Mallory Zendaya Oakley Turner the 12th. <laughs> there is no 8th, 9th, 10th, or 11th. It's just the 12th. Um, so I've, I had my mind set on in this expectation for what our life was going to be. And then a few days in, her eyes started opening, and I was like, babe, she's blind. And Luke was like, how do you know if a squirrel is blind or not? I was like, pretty sure that this, that's not normal. So then I get online with, like, the squirrel expert chat rehabilitation people. And, um, and they give you all kind of, like response test you can do like do they flinch and all this kind of stuff so she's blind so I, I then I'm like well my all it's all in my mind what I thought was going to be is not going to be and I'm like should do I take her somewhere and just let her meet Jesus like what do I do and Jake the the guy that is over a lot here at church helped me shift my mind I mean, my mind was in a hole I'm like she's never going to have quality of life she's and he was like Megan around this worship center right above the tile it's like empty space he's like we could run we could build like a squirrel run all the way around the worship center and every time you come to work and during the weekends she can just run and play and be free and I was like yes you tell Luke you tell Luke that's what we're gonna do and I was like the battle in my mind Jake you just solved all the problems so if you hear something during service and it sounds scratching it might just be Mallory's and Dea Oakley Turner the 12th running around um, around that. So I, I just needed y'all I just needed y'all to meet her. Um, but it does mess up in your head when things aren't the way that you thought and things don't meet your expectations. And the truth is, our mind is a battlefield. So when you look at scripture and you look at the things that we have to um, combat the enemy with, the ways that he's going to come at us. It really truthfully happens right here in between our ears. Um, and there are so many scripture verses. I, I could go on and on about how many verses talk about the battle that happens in our head. Galatians 5.17 says it this way. For the flesh sets it des its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So if I can translate that a little bit to help you digest it. Basically it's saying if I have Jesus in my life, and I've asked him in my heart, there's a certain way that he wants to change my life, and the flesh, which would be the way that I, I've naturally been, like my, my sinful nature, those two collide. And so that is where, and where those thoughts happen is in our mind. Um, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, the Apostle Paul's talking, and um, the Apostle Paul is somebody that's had um, no relationship with the Lord, walked, actually would persecute Christians, very much against Christians, and he's got this life-changing experience. He's given his whole life to Christ, and, and he is now helping people take this journey. And he says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war. And where is war? The battlefield is in our mind. If you're on live, type the battlefield is in our mind. It's in our mind. But we don't wage the war that the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, our weapons, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. If I can pause there for just a second and talk about strongholds. A stronghold is, for the sake of this message and a simple definition, um, we're going to go with it's a wrong pattern of thinking. 
So a thought that you have that is not the way that God would have you think of something. Um, and I'll give you some examples in a minute. Many of, of us are just held hostage. Um, go on to verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So every thought that I have, if I can take it and I can make it obedient to Christ. Let me give you an example that happened during first service of a stronghold. I had um, a lady that I know very dearly, such a sweet woman of God, and she came up to me. And she said, I really needed your message. She said, because I am raising my grandchildren. And just this morning, she said, the thoughts in my head were, I do not connect with this next generation. I do not have what they need. Um, I'm going to mess these kids up. I shouldn't even do this. I'm not fit. I'm not capable. And so when I say a stronghold, it can be an extreme stronghold. It can be something um, where my life isn't even worth living anymore. I have nothing valuable to that. So any level of stronghold of thinking. Paul says, we go after these thoughts. You have the power to go after them with a weapon that is not even of the world. So I want to talk a little bit about the mind because it's so powerful. You know, if you walk a path through a patch of grass for a hundred days straight, you're going to develop a pathway. And your mind actually does the same thing. It develops these neural pathways. And every time you think one thought, then it becomes easier to think that thought again. And so then the more often you think that thought, then it becomes, very, it becomes a pattern. It's like you've walked through the grass a hundred times. In the back of our yard, we have got a deer corn feeder. We do not shoot the deer. The deer are our pets. We like, not our pets. They are just fun for me to look at. Um, if Luke wants to hunt, he can go somewhere else, but it's not my backyard. We happen to have the largest bucks of, <laughs> of any property that he's seen right there in my backyard, but we don't shoot. So, um, but there is a path, and if you go down the back of my yard, you can see it. The path, they literally walk there a hundred times over and over and over again. And just like us, when we take the same path over and over again, then oftentimes that is where the enemy will show up, i.e. the enemy that showed up in my backyard. Do y'all see that? Just like that, the enemy will show up. And so... Um, what we have got to do is what Paul's talking about is there's a way that when you're walking a certain path that is not the way that God would want you to in your thoughts, how do we break the pattern? And here's the truth. A lot of times the thoughts that we're thinking are you're not even aware that it's a wrong thought process. So if I, if I talk to you about something that's like a cognitive bias, a cognitive bias is when a mistake in reasoning, so a, a mistake in the way you reason or process something based on a personal experience or a preference. So the way you've lived something changes the way you think about it. You could call it like a cognitive bias or you could call it like a mental filter. Have you ever taken like an air vent out of, like a filter out of the AC at your house and it's just as dirty? A kind of advice would be like a filter over your thought process. And so there's a way that your thinking is skewed, but because it's how you've always thought that way, you don't even realize that it's not the normal way to think about something. So, for example, if you grew up with a mean or an unkind, abusive male, then you might have a thought process about men that says men are untrustworthy, they can be angry, they're not dependable, um, I'm not safe, I shouldn't trust them. That could be your thought process when that is not reality, but it is your mental filter. Does that make sense? 
Or you could have grown up and you might have heard your parents say something like, people that have a lot of money, they're selfish, they don't take care of other people, they're not deserving of that. Um, or it could have been the opposite. You grew up with a wealthy family and you heard them say something like, people that don't have money, they are lazy and they should have gone to school more and they don't work enough. And that can be your reality, but it not be actual reality. It's like a mental filter. Um, and so what, when we're renewing our mind and when we're taking these that thoughts captive, if you can learn that when you change the filter, um, then you change the feel. Like change the filter and you change the way something can feel. So now the filter that men are like that, if you change that filter, then when you meet somebody, it feels completely different. Um, do you remember when, like, the filters came out, and they, now, now they're everywhere, when they first started coming out on the phone? Um, I remember I was in the car. We were waiting in car line with my youngest, Hadley, and I put one of the filters on, and then her little face is on it, and it's real glittery. And when she saw it herself in this filter, she was like, oh, and I was like, it took your breath away, didn't it? She was like, yes. I was like, the filter changed the feel. So take a look. This is her whenever she saw the filter. <laughs> that took your breath away, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, there also was another picture that I took. We were, Luke and I were in the airport, and we were heading somewhere, and I put a filter on, and I guess the filter took away a little bit of my under-eye wrinkles. And so I put it on. I was like, oh, we're going with that. That changed the feel. I feel younger. Um, and Luke's dad, who is not a worrier at all, called me, and he was like, Megan, Ann and I are very worried about Luke, and we think that you need to get him to a doctor. And I said, why? He said, well, we just saw that picture you posted on so he said, the left side of his face looks droopy, and he looks very pale. He said, I'm worried he's had a stroke. And I was like, well, Pops, I look good in the picture, though, right? And uh, so I had to take another picture and send it to, to Pops to show that Luke really wasn't um, not doing good. But, it, but uh, when you change the filter, it changes the, fi the feel. Um, so... It's not the facts, but it's the filter. And even the example, like when you take two people in your workplace, and if you were going to sit two people down and have the exact same conversation with both of them, and you might say, hey, listen, you're doing a great job. These are some of the things I would like for you to work on, and then we'll get back together next week. One person might walk out of the meeting, and they just are just completely disgusted. I can't believe you would say that. You don't have a clue how much work I do. You don't even know how valuable I am to the company. You have no idea what's going on in my personal life. You could never do the job that I'm doing. You have no idea how lazy the people are that work for me. And then you might have somebody else that walks out of the exact same meeting and they might say, oh my gosh, thank you so much that you care about me, that you want to help me get better. I mean, you are such an incredible boss and that you want to teach me and coach me and you want to see me get better. I can't wait till we meet next week. Can we meet twice next week? Like, same conversation, two completely different takeaways. It's the filter. Even in scripture, when you look at Numbers 13 and 14, Moses has got a large group of people and they're in the desert and they're trying to decide if this piece of the city that they could go in, if they could take over. Are we strong enough to take over? Do we have enough men? What do their men look like? What do their supplies look like? So he sends 12 spies into this land and of the 12, when they come back, 10 out of the 12 are like, absolutely not. They're way bigger than us. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. There's no way that we could do that. Um, two of them were like, oh, we got it. We got it. Well, oh, I was made for that. 
Luke was definitely one of the two that came back very confident that he could take over. And I'm like, what two, you know the two guys that came back, they're like, I got that, no problem. But it's even a reflection in today's culture of just the, the way that the mind, that many people, would 10 out of 12 people see a circumstance negatively and not even realize that they're losing the battle in their mind. It's just become the way, it's just become the path that we've walked. Um, so I want to talk to you today about when that happens. How do I begin to reframe? Like, how do I take something in my mind that's always been or a pattern, and how do I reframe that? So I want to give you an example of reframing, okay? So there's a way that I could look at my day, and I could say about my day, um, I didn't get enough sleep last night. The kids are out of control. We have so much homework. Um, the teachers have no idea how many games we have tonight. The, this is way too much. Everybody that I work with, nobody's going to have what they need to get done done. The office is just so crowded and it's miserable. And then my stupid car, I don't even know if it's going to get me to work. And there's a way that that is the way that you look at your whole entire day. Right? This is my day. And then there's a way that you could say, like, my husband, he's absolutely driving me crazy. These kids, why did I even have kids? They, this is beyond my capacity. Like, and so then you start your day and that's just... Not that it's not all untrue necessarily, right? Because there could be a lot of truth to it. So I'm not saying be ignorant of reality. I'm saying but there's a way that you reframe and you begin to look at something differently, but you have to train yourself to do this, okay? And, and it's important because the scripture does say that the, the mind really is your battlefield. So you don't even realize, just like the deer in my yard, you don't even realize how much the enemy wants to play there. And so you, that's why he says you have to take these thoughts captive. So instead of that being the way you look at your day, then you begin to reframe your day. And you're like, actually, I know that today is going to be really hard. And there's a lot of obstacles. But what I do know is that God gave me the gifts and the abilities that I can make this happen. I do know that it's going to be hard, but I get an opportunity to show how capable I really am. I do know that there's a lot of people at work that are really struggling. And now I get the, the opportunity to encourage them. And I do drive a piece of crap, but at least I have something to drive, Right? Now, there's a, you see what I'm talking about? The way, there's a way that you take your thoughts and you begin to reframe them. And there's a way that if you live with this framed and everything looks like this, this is your filter for everything, then let me ask you this. Can you have a negative thought life and have a positive life? Right? Because I would dare to say that your most active thoughts would be what drives you to where you're going in life. Now, it does not negate the fact that negative things are happening. Our negative things happen. And do hardships come? A hundred percent. That's why Paul says we don't suffer like the rest of the world. We don't handle it. Not because the same things aren't happening to us, but because we have different weapons that we fight that with. And of all the people that know this, Paul knows this really well. Because like I said, Paul was not walking with the Lord. He has a supernatural encounter with him on a road, the road to Damascus. Changes his life. And then he decides, I'm going to go to Rome. Rome is where I want to go. I feel like if I can get to Rome, the word about Jesus that I can get out to everybody else, that's kind of the, the hub of society at that time. Then I can get the word to most people. Paul's like, this is, this is going to be good. It's on his bucket list. My number one thing I want to do is I want to go to Rome and I want to preach the truth and I want to spread God's word. I want to be a preacher. In Rome, I want to tell everybody about it. I want to spread it all over the world. It's my heart's desire, my top prayer, my dream. He finds himself in Rome, right? When he gets to Rome, instead of preaching and all of his heart's desire, he is actually imprisoned and on trial waiting to be executed. 
Total mind shift. Total mind shift. And Paul says this in Philippians. He's writing back to the church, and he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, although it may look really bad to most people, most people that would have that thought process, to most people, it has actually served to advance the gospel. He says this, as a result, it has become clear to those in the palace guard that guess what? Here we go. Even though it looks like I'm in bad shape, when I reframe it, it is clear to everyone else that I am actually in chains for Christ. He says this, and because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become even more confident in the Lord. So look at this. Look at what Paul says, okay? I know to all of you, I came to Rome, and you might think that because I am in chains, imprisoned, waiting execution, it might look really bad to all of you. But guess what, Paul says, let me reframe this. I am actually able to witness to so many more people and they want to hear what I have to say because they see me in bondage, yet they still hear me preaching. And then he goes on and he talks about it. He's like, and guess what? Because I am in prison and because I am in these chains, I have a new guard and for every eight hours, I get a brand new person to preach the gospel to and they can't leave and they have to listen. Y'all only have to listen to me for 40 minutes this morning. Paul had an eight hour audience, captive audience that couldn't go anywhere. Talk about reframing the way you see something. And he says, my chains are actually a part of my testimony and I have a captive audience. And because I'm in this state, yet I am still praising who he is, I am in this state and my thoughts are not wrecked. Now people wanna know what it is that you have. Why are you suffering the same things I'm suffering with, but why are you doing it different than the rest of the world? So it gave him the opportunity. So what I wanna do this morning is, I just wanna give you three quick, easy ways to help you reframe your thought process. This is not a fix all, this is just, if you want to start to begin what scripture says to transform your mind and to take captive your thoughts. I wanna go through three ways to help you do that. I often read Paul's story and I think I would really like to be that positive. Three ways. The first is begin to thank God for what didn't happen. There was a girl and she came to her mom and dad. She's in her mid twenties and she was like, early twenties and she was like, I need to tell you something. Um, she was like, I was at a bar. Um, a month or two ago, and I met this guy, and we had a little bit too much to drink, okay, a lot too much to drink, and um, he came back to my place, uh, turns out, here I am a, a few weeks later, and I'm pregnant, he actually doesn't live in town, because he actually wasn't even supposed to be here, he's actually on probation, so he actually can't even leave his hometown, but the good news is, mom and dad, when he gets off of probation, hopefully he won't have to go to jail, he'll get off probation, and he can come live here at your house, mom and dad, and we can have the baby, that's gonna be our plan. And it just sinks, the room just sinks, and she lets it resonate for a minute. And then she's like, actually, that's not true at all, but I did get a 46 on my history exam. There's a way that you thank God for what didn't happen. And then what you hear isn't as hard to digest. Um, it is really hard. You know, even whenever one of the main things when you look at the hurricane and, and what happened, it's one thing. It's We did have some stuff. C building still doesn't have power. We've obviously got some trees down. We've got some stuff going on. But it's really easy in that circumstance to look and say, it could be way worse. 
And so, and by the way, we are, one, we're praying for them, but we also will be in touch with you guys with how, where we choose to send relief efforts and what that looks like. So, um, but there's a way that you really do, like, it's easy on the circumstance for the hurricane, but are you doing that in your everyday life? Because there is a way that the enemy wants to take the stuff that's happened that is not positive and put a magnifying glass on it. And so there's a way that things that are God is doing and covering in your life that you you don't even see. Um, I remember for me, this became super apparent to me when I was pregnant with Blakely. So she was my firstborn and I was pregnant with her and we were in um, the the Dominican Republic. I was about 32 weeks pregnant and not in like a woe is me, but pregnancy had been difficult and I was over it. I remember telling the doctor when when a doctor would ask me, are you allergic to something? I was like, pregnancy, I'm allergic to pregnancy. Um, I had been in and out of the hospital for 20 weeks. I had a feeding tube. I couldn't eat. I lost over 30 pounds. I threw up constantly. And so I was just in a state where I was, I didn't, don't know that I was appreciating pregnancy, you could say. And we went to um, a special needs orphanage in the Dominican Republic. And as a first time mom being pregnant, and I could feel her moving on the inside of me. I remember taking a moment away from the group and walking out to the bus. And I remember just weeping and saying, God, would you just keep my mind right? Because I, I do have a healthy baby and I do have so much to be thankful for. And I had gotten so wrapped up in you know, what other pregnancies look like. And I don't even get to enjoy this and I can't eat. And I, when it was like, it was one of those paradigm shifting moments when I saw this group of handicapped kids that didn't have a family or a mom and dad to love them or the equipment to properly take care of them. And it was, it was a time where I, I try to keep going back to in my life when I feel like that my head can get in a negative space of just thanking God, thank you so much for, um, for what hasn't happened in my life. And please God, don't let me take just the negative that has happened and miss all of the blessings. And so, Step one, if you just would begin to do that. Number two is practice reframing um, or pre-framing, I'm sorry. Um, There's a way that you can decide to go into a situation and you can pre-frame it. And it's almost like you fulfill the way that you spoke it to be. I know that my mom did this very strongly for me and my sister over our teenage years. You know, a lot of people have, and I joked last week even about Blakely being a whole teenager. And she is, I have a whole teenager, but I'm so blessed by the teenager that she is. And I remember my mom saying, whenever I was going into my teenage years, she would say, um, these, are gonna be the, these are gonna be the best years. We're gonna have so much fun. We're gonna do fun things. We're gonna, we are gonna connect and we're gonna talk and we're gonna do life together at a much deeper level. And although there are things that I did when I was a teenager that I wouldn't want my kids to do or that I'm not necessarily proud of everything, but as a whole, when I look at the whole of my teenage years, they were some of the best times I had with my family. But it just wasn't an option. It wasn't, I didn't hear, she didn't pre-frame my teenage years of saying, this is going to be hellacious. What am I going to do with this attitude? Oh, here we go into this. And so that wasn't what I heard. What I heard and what I expected was, this is going to be so much fun. The older I get, the more I get to do with my parents. And so she pre-framed that for me. And there's a way that when you begin to pre-frame something, you give it so much power. I mean, there's so much power in your thoughts. Um, and you know, when you think a positive thought versus when you think a negative thought, so negative and stress releases cortisol, positive thoughts and positive stuff releases dopamine. And it's like, you have the power physically, not just spiritually, but physically 
to put that more in your life. It's like every time I say to my kids, well, I mean, what are we going to do today? You can't even do this. You can't even do that. I'm literally, not only am I releasing negativity into the air, but physically into my body. But then every time Luke is like, babe, you look so good. I'm like, dopamine. <laughs> I'm like, say that again. You know, like, this is, I, like, I love you so much. I'm so excited about going to your volleyball game tonight. Dopamine. No, like there's, seriously, there's a way I can look at a situation and pre-frame it. Truthfully, this week, we've got 32 volleyball games, 400 papers, 62 tests. There's a way I can go into the week and I'm like, this is overwhelming. Or I could go to be like, I am so blessed. I'm so blessed. I love being a fan of my children. It's one of the most fun things that I get to do to sit and watch them and be their cheerleader on the sidelines. Is it a lot of work? Absolutely. But when I pre-frame the whole thing, then I just take a lot of power away from the enemy. So now my mind isn't his battlefield. It's something that I've done what Paul says, and I've taken captive of my thoughts. They're mine. They're mine. Uh, I remember when my sister was um, in high, or she was in eighth grade, she got asked to run on the track team for a competition. Now she had never run track before, but the track coach was the PE coach. So she saw my sister run, so we really need somebody. So Macy said, I'll only run short sprints. I'm not doing hurdles, I'm not doing jumping. So I get to the competition, she's running hurdles and she's doing like the standing jump. So she's doing the high jump. And so she does the high jump. She is in eighth grade. She has never done this before. She beats the senior that is doing the high jump. We're like, yes, you did it, you won. She's like, shh, don't say anything, don't say anything. Don't act happy, don't act happy, don't clap, don't say anything. We're all like, okay, okay, okay. We walk off leaving, and we walked off leaving. She, she really didn't realize the gravity that it was for the girl that was a senior. So her coach was there, the Clemson coach was there. She had an Olympic trainer that was there. And she was laying on the pad, and she was just weeping. And so Macy's like, this didn't mean anything to me. Like, I just was doing this for PE extra credit. It meant everything to that girl. But here's what concerned me. And when I walk away, when I think back about that story, the girl was laying on the pad and this is what she said over and over again. I knew this was gonna happen. I knew this was gonna happen. I knew I wasn't gonna win. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And I, I, I can't help but to wonder about that poor 12th grade girl. Like what level of stress and negativity had she put on herself at such a young age? And you know, our, the pre-framing is such a tool that we give to our kids because the reality is hard things happen in life and hard stuff is going to come. And there's a way that we can pre-frame life so that when those waves come, that they're not shaken. This is part of life and this is hard. I remember, I, I think I told you guys last week that I remember saying all the time um, when we would go to funerals and we would go to the hospital with people, I would say, Daddy, I'm not gonna be okay when something happens to you. Like, you are my whole world. I'm not going to be, and I would say that all the time. And I remember one day him having a serious conversation, and he said, no, Megan, you're going to be great when something happens to me. You are going to be okay. And he said, I want you to quit. He said, because you're setting yourself up for when that comes, although it may be hard. You're setting yourself up for it being something that, it, he was like, because you're going to be sad, and you're going to mourn, but you're not, it's, you know, you're going to do it with a hope, because you know that you will see me again. And I need you to start focusing on that. It will be hard and there will be a season that you are sad, but that is only for a season. And it, he pre-framed for me the day that he will no longer be with me. One of the most powerful things he could have done as a parent for me. The third thing is I want you to start to look for the goodness of God. Um, if you look for it, you'll find it. If you, all you look for is the bad things, then you will find it. If you look for a bad 
part of the day, you will find it. If you look for bad parts and people, you will 100% find it. But if you look for the good and you begin to that to be an exercise, you too will find that. It's, it's like um, the difference between a vulture and a hummingbird. A vulture flies around all day long looking for dead, gross, rotting things. And all day long, he finds dead, gross, rotting things. And then you look at a hummingbird, and it flies around looking for sweet, yummy, savory stuff. And all day long, that's what he finds. And there's a way that you can go about your day. And not that it fixes problems, but it is a battlefield. And there's a way that when you reframe it and things, you begin to see things differently. I know for Luke and I with our kids, we've begun to do this even with grades. There's a way that I have begun to shift and not that I, I want them to do the very best that they can, but how, how am I setting them up to look at for what is most important? And to begin to see the goodness that God's, and I promise you where you look, you'll find it. Um, and then there's a way that when this begins to happen, the power that you give to God, because here's the truth, everybody in this room has a hurt. Everybody in this room, online, we all have a wound. And what I hate to have happen is for you to waste your wounds and waste your hurts. When truthfully, when you reframe them and you put them in the power of God, he really can cause all things to work together for his good. There's a way that every trial that you have walked through, every hurt that you have had, that you get to utilize in your life and then help someone else with it. Or there's a way that it becomes a battle tool of the enemy in your head. So don't waste one single wound. Don't give the enemy power for one single hurt to put a cognitive bias or a mental filter that then has you walk the same path. Do not become a slave to those thought processes. So what I wanna do is I wanna take a moment and I just want us to look through and, and watch we, as we do this. And then I'm gonna let you go in just a second, but I, 2020 was a rough year for everybody. Um, and if I can, I'm, I'm not c comparing because I know it was way worse for some people than it was for others. And I just would like to help you look at a, doing this in my life and see if then you can take it and apply it to yours. Church shut down, which obviously leaves lots of questions. How do we minister to people? This is who we're called to take care of. How do I take care of them if I can't see them and be with them and help them? How do we do financially? How do we pay the bills? How do we pay all of our staff? Um, and then, uh, then you have the whole political issue. You had the, do we open back up? Do we not open back up? It was like, if you open back up, then you have no faith in God. But if you stay closed, then you are crazy and you don't want the world to come back to what it's supposed to be. Then you have the mask issue. And like, if you don't wear a mask, then you don't care about other people. But if you do wear a mask, then you're a raging liberal. And there was, it was like, I'm not going there. I'm not, I know that you are right. You're informed. I'm just saying these were the tensions, right? And it was like, the world and then you had the whole racial tension that was going on and so now you have people that you know that you love and that they love you but now because of the tension now it's creating this question in in both both groups of people of have I done a good enough job expressing how much I love the people that I love do they feel love because at the end of the day that's what matters the most and so now you have this question in your heart of does everybody know how I feel 
have I, have I expressed myself and have I taken care of the people I'm supposed to? And then on top of all of that, you've got homeschooling. And I am a horrid teacher, by the way, like just not my gift. And so then we're doing that. And then on top of all of that, Luke got COVID and we all got COVID and Luke got it really bad. And then he got pneumonia and it, it was not getting better. And there was a scary season. And then on top of that, Luke also had a stroke and he got put into the hospital and we couldn't go see him. And it was then whenever he was in the hospital with his stroke and they found, they called and said he actually, in addition to the stroke, we found that he has a brain aneurysm. And it just felt like I was not unshakable. I felt very shaken, right? Super shaken. And so there's a way that I can frame that whole year. And that is what 2020 looks like. That's 2020. Or there's a way that all of that is true and all of that is a reality. There's a way that I can look back over 2020 and I can acknowledge that and I've learned a lot from that. But there's a way that I can miss what God did in 2022. So here are some of the things that happened also. Hallie got to go Black Friday shopping for the very first time and I don't think she'll ever miss again. I found four baby turtles in my pool pump that I got to raise and release, which y'all know is a big highlight for me. Uh, I bought Baylor his very first animal. It's, it's a lizard, like a dragon lizard. Uh, Macy and Dave didn't know, so I just showed up at their house with it, which was really fun. Uh, I decided to take Luke on for multiple races, determined that I could beat him. I never did. Uh, um, I never did. Um, Chelsea, right over here, who was our first baby ever born at Cathedral. Um, I, we got to hold her, um, ba her baby girl, which was like two days before a full shutdown. So we got to meet her. Um, this was one of the sweetest moments I had in 2020. Me and um, some of my girlfriends, me and um, Liz and Leah and Julia and Lindsay uh, went out of town for a volleyball retreat or a volleyball trip. We didn't take any of the guys. We were sitting in a restaurant, we were sitting having dinner and this horrific accident happened on the, on the interstate behind us. And five of my very best friends happened to be nurses. And so they watched it unfold. And so three of the girls that were with us were nurses and they went running out of the restaurant, climbed under this fence and went and took care of the people until EMS got there. And they walked back into the restaurant and everybody stood up and applauded them and then somebody paid for their dinner. And it was one of those moments that I just was so proud of my friends and the work that they did and watching them care for people. So that was a sweet moment. My baby turned 13. So we had our first teenager. Uh, Luke got to take all three of the girls to the father-daughter dance, which is the highlight of their life, by the way, is going to dance with their dad. We got to go to Israel. We walked where Jesus walked and we stood where David fought Goliath. And it was a trip of life. We worshiped here. Listen, I need y'all to hear this. Can y'all start that over? Worshiping in Israel was one of the most amazing things I've ever done. I thought you get the opportunity, do not miss it. Um, and then Luke in the hospital, and although it was a tragedy, we got hooked up with one of the best doctors that I could have ever imagined. We were at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville is where we were sent, and um, somebody that was finally able to get Luke's blood pressure, which has been bad since he was 24, under control, um, medicines that don't have um, horrible side effects. Just, it's been a God thing, and somebody tracking his aneurysm. So it's 
been a God thing. And then our family time from that, from the COVID and from the stroke has been something that we will never ever take for granted ever again. It's been quality at a different level. And so there's a way that we can look at 2020 and say I was really, really shaken. And then there's a way that I can take the frame and I can move it and I can say, but because God, I'm gonna give you who you are, then I know that no matter what is gonna come in 23 or 24 or 26, that because I am tied to who you are, I really am unshakable. Like even in a world that is rocking, I give you the power of my mind. And so what I wanna do, we're gonna go, I just want us to do one worship song. And what I want you guys to do in the worship song is you can sit, you can stand. I just want you to ask the Lord, Lord, if there's been any thought process that I have had that is a cognitive bias, if there's a filter over the way I see my spouse or the way I see my children or the way I see my marriage. You know, I, I know for so many people, they see their marriage not necessarily as bad, but do you see your marriage being the most life-giving, thriving, God-designed, passionate thing that God's put in your life? Is that the filter that you're seeing your spouse through? What What is it, God, that something has shifted in me and there's been a battle? I've been walking the same path, having no idea that the enemy is waiting at the end. And if there is a thought process that I've had in this next few moments, as your presence comes in the room, God, would you just, as ever so gently as he does, would you just help me, God, to begin to see the circumstance and the people in my life the way that you would have me see? Holy Spirit, we, we invite you to come. Lord, we worship you and worship you in a way that invites you to open our eyes and our hearts, Father God, to see our life as a blessing. Lord, every wound and hurt and setback that we've had. Father God, for somebody in here that says, you know, my work is my filter and I, I when that's gone, where, who am I? What is it, how am I defined? Or the woman that's in here and she says, all the good men are gone, I'll never have one. Whatever the thought process is, Father God, would you just begin to reshape it in your presence? In Jesus' name, let's worship. I saw this and I found it very interesting. One, because it's interesting. Two, because it's about animals. But I, um, I, I learned that a whale, the way a whale dies unless something unusual happens and it gets like some sort of sickness. But the way that most whales die is, you know, whales are not of the ocean. They are in the ocean, as in they breathe oxygen, they breathe air. So they have to come up to get air in order to survive. And the reason that most of them die is because they get so exhausted and so tired that they're too tired to come up and get air. So they drown. Do not be so in this world that you get too exhausted to come up because you are not in, you are in the world, but you are not of this world. And there's a point where you have to rise above it and breathe in the thoughts that God has for you to go back to continue to do what you've been called to do. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Know the truth about you and the truth will set you free 100% of the time. I love you guys. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Hey, and do this. This is what I did for myself. I just said this. I said, God, I want all you have for me. And so I took a negative fast. Take a negativity fast and ask God every thought that comes in my mind about me, about my wife, about my kids, about my life, I mean, about my husband. 
Would you take it and would you open my eyes to it and I will draw, I will take captive all of them and would you truly fast the negativity in your life and ask God, would you transform my mind and watch what he does. Be blessed, be transformed. I love you guys. See you next week. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.